Hello, my name is Lucy Ripova and I'm the founder and host of Think with Lucy. I started this podcast to talk with female founders about their startup journey, challenges, successes, lessons learned, and their vision for the future. Why? Only 2% of venture capital funding goes to female founders, despite venture investment being at record highs. This data makes a strong case that gender bias persists among startup investors, and this needs to change. Research shows investing in female founders is extremely profitable. In fact, female founders outperform their male counterparts. So let's get the word out and eliminate the biases and prejudices that are limiting the ability to see the facts. Let's think. So today I'm sitting down with Anna Brightman, co-founder at Upcircle Beauty, a cosmetics company that uses natural ingredients like coffee grounds or brewed tea as beauty products. So I've heard of a startup that uses coffee grounds to produce fuel. I don't know if you've heard, but where did you find out that coffee grounds had positive effect on your skin? Yeah, I have heard of them. There's an, a whole host of incredible things that you can do with the used coffee. And it's something that we produce so much of that it's fantastic that it can be made into so many different things and that so many companies are doing that. The way that we found out that it has great skincare benefits is that actually it's been used in the skincare industry for a very long time, mm. but not the brewed coffee. So it was actually my brother who was just walking into a coffee shop one day and asked what happened to their used coffee. When he found out that it was destined for landfill, he thought, wow, why don't we become yeah. another business that finds yeah. a new use for this? And because I knew that uh, there are loads of skincare products out there that contain either the coffee grounds in the form of an exfoliant or coffee oil in the form of, you know, like brightening eye serums and things like that. I thought, well, why don't we start using it in skincare? And then, of course, at the very start of a business, you go through your research phase. Yeah. And we were researching and researching and mm -hmm. researching. And the more we looked into it, the more it seemed like a no-brainer for us to start turning this into skincare. And no one else was doing it in the beauty industry either. So it really would have been a pioneering thing to start to do. So are you saying that people were doing it like 100 years ago before there were any brands or any products? Were yeah. they using coffee grounds on their skin? Absolutely. It's, it's one of those ingredients as well that you can, it, it really lends itself to DIY, like at-home beauty. And I think there was a big wave in the last sort of five years or so of yeah. people going back to basics with the sorts of ingredients that you would find in your kitchen, food ingredients that are also fantastic for your skin. You know, think of making like an avocado face mask or something like that. Um, and coffee grounds are another one of those that people have been doing at home yeah. themselves yeah. for so so long just mixing the coffee grounds from your cafetiere with a bit mm -hmm. of coconut oil or even olive oil and kind of scrubbing it all over your body so um yeah it's, it's definitely not a new thing that we that we've kind of invented but we're the first people to bring it to market and to scale the repurposing of coffee grounds into skincare that uh, can then be sold globally wow what effect does coffee have on your skin what exactly does it do to you so firstly, in its exfoliant form, so in the actual kind of granule form as opposed to an oil, mm -hmm. it works as a brilliant natural exfoliator. So not that long ago was the age of the microbead where unknowingly most of us were using exfoliators or even toothpastes that were filled with these tiny little mm -hmm. plastic balls that can never be filtered back out of the water systems. So this is a natural alternative to that that's softer. Uh, it has naturally different textures with each ground so mm -hmm. it's actually more effective mm -hmm. and it just degrades when it goes down the sink so that's the first thing uh, it's also the same ph as your skin so it's not irritating and it's very high in antioxidants and the level of antioxidants actually increase in coffee as it's brewed so that was one of those things that we found in the research phase wow. that was like oh my god we have to do this this mm -hmm. is this is just win-win in every way and obviously antioxidants are what fight free radicals yeah. which cause the first signs of aging so there's a whole host of fantastic mm -hmm. skincare benefits for for coffee so you said no one has done this before you were the first one at scale and uh, so to the extent that we're doing it there are quite a few kind of indie niche brands who might kind of collect from two or three mm -hmm. coffee shops and then they sell at kind of market stalls or within one country mm -hmm. so I, I there are certainly lots of those yeah. but we are the first people to build an entire brand from the logo to the messaging to the mm -hmm. hierarchy on the circular economy concept uh, repurposing ingredients into every single formulation mm -hmm. and collecting hundreds of kilograms of coffee per day creating hundreds of thousands of scrubs that we sell mm -hmm. worldwide mm -hmm. well why is it so hard to make it at scale oh it's, it's incredibly difficult and we actually it's, it's really funny we, we have like a 
a chat function on our website where you can come and just instantly ask questions to our Mm -hmm. team and we get a lot of people sort of posing as customers Mm -hmm. but actually the kinds of questions that they're asking are so detailed and it's all about our processes because people are trying to figure out how we've done it it's not easy it took us years to get Mm -hmm. right a lot of trial and error a lot of experimentation fantastic relationships needed with both our coffee supplying partners Mm -hmm. but also our manufacturers in order that we figure it out but I would describe our processes as very fresh and very efficient. You know, the the stages from life one mm-hmm. as a kind of um, food ingredient into uh, the second life as an upcircle skincare ingredient mm-hmm. is extremely quick. And it has to be in order that we can have the best possible quality products. So is there an expiration to the brewed coffee? In the first stages, it has to be, uh, we, you know, we collect fresh every single day, for example, and then our products are made the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, through our processes, the it then doesn't have an expiration. So all of our products, what they have what's called a PAO, which is period after opening, which means that they will last indefinitely until you open the jar. Oh, wow. Once you open okay. the jar, then kind of the, the clock starts ticking yeah. as such. And so for as all of our... As with any product. Exactly, yeah. And ours are between six and nine months for each product. Mm-hmm. So you have an idea that you want to make a skincare line from coffee grounds or brewed tea. Mm -hmm. Um, What steps do you take to make it happen? Oh, so many steps. So uh, in the UK and also globally, in order to sell skincare products, you have to go through lots of legal testing. Mm -hmm. So stability testing, which makes sure that the kind of nature of the product doesn't change over time. Uh, And then efficacy testing, making sure obviously that the claims that you're making about your product are true. But we we have a, I actually love the new product development process. It's one of my favorite parts of being a brand mm-hmm. founder and working in the industry that we do. I describe it as like a matchmaking pro, uh, project. So you've got a list of products that you want to make and you've got a list of ingredients that you want to work with. Mm-hmm. And then it's a case of matching the nature of the ingredient and the benefits of the ingredient with the product that you're going to then make. So for example, we had someone recently saying that they have an oat byproduct And I really would like to make very gentle cleanser. So I'm like, right, oat milk cleanser, perfect. Mm -hmm. Or there's a gin distillery byproduct that we might start working with. And I'm thinking, right, hand sanitizer, perfect. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the first step is figuring out what ingredient might match with what product. And then we start working with our professional formulators who kind of make our dreams a reality, really. And then we go through rounds and rounds of amends until we're all happy. And then it goes into the testing phases. So you hire an advisor that tells you what what ingredients the cream or the moisturizer needs. Yeah, so to, I, I to say we've got effect. we've got like our in-house team um, uh, at UpCircle. And then we've also got lots of people who we've worked with from day mm. one, but they're not technically employed by us. So our branding agency would be one example, and then our manufacturers would be another. So we are... We're based in London, and so the manufacturing facilities that we need span, you know, a, a lot of space. And so imagine. it doesn't make sense for us to do our manufacturing here where we're based. Um, so we've got, our, yeah, our manufacturers and formulators are, are based elsewhere, and mm-hmm. we work with them very closely mm-hmm. through our formulation process. When it comes to setting up partnerships with coffee shops, how did you get that started? So when we first started, we worked in a tiny, tiny little cupboard box room in Hackney. And mm-hmm. around Hackney, as I'm sure many people will know, there are just hundreds and hundreds of coffee shops. Yeah. One of those is All Press, which is a roastery that has a few other coffee shops as well. And it was, yeah, my brother just walked in one day and said, hey, I know you guys are really well respected with regards to the quality of mm-hmm. your coffee. Uh, how would you feel if I started to take the coffee that you produce at the end of the day this is what I'm planning to make with it mm-hmm. uh, and then of course for the coffee shops it's it boosts their sustainability credentials as well because they can say hey the coffee that we produce here ends up going back into mm-hmm. another small business who's making great use of it rather than having to pay the co- council to have it disposed off at landfill mm-hmm. so it's one of those again win-win win, win. win, win. exactly does it matter what coffee it is like arabica or yeah we only brand. use arabica coffee only arabica and then we also would sort of just check in and make sure that the other ethics of the coffee shops that we're working with are in alignment with ours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, making sure that the coffee is fair trade and, and those sorts of things as well is, is really important before we start adding them onto our roster of coffee shops. Mm-hmm. So do you have a logistics company that you work with that collects the coffee from all these coffee shops that you 
partnered with? No, not at this point. It's something that we will definitely need to bring into place in the future. Because of the nature of when we started, the coffee collection process has gone through many iterations. So during COVID, for example, we actually had a small fleet of Uber and black cab drivers who would collect our coffee because Mm -hmm. obviously they had no work. They were very familiar with the ins and outs and the best routes of London. Mm -hmm. And, And so they were just you know, really keen to help out. And and that's what we use then. Now we have our warehouse team. So we've got a a railway arch location in London, which Mm -hmm. just kind of fuels some of the other, all of our stock basically to our different fulfillment partners. And uh, we've got a couple of people there who go on bikes and do more local Mm -hmm. collections just from where we are. Because as you can imagine, through a pandemic, we had to switch up the coffee shops that we were partnered with because sadly, lots of the ones that we were working with before in places like Brick Lane, Mm -hmm. which is so heavily reliant on tourism, no longer exist. So we instead shifted towards more residential areas and places with large greens or parks on the outskirts of where Mm -hmm. they were because those are the ones that survived. So how many coffee shops do you partner up with? So we've worked at this point with probably more around 150 small chain and independent Mm -hmm. coffee shops Mm -hmm. that we work with. At the moment, we're probably only collecting from about 50. But again, the the whole process really ebbs and flows depending on our needs and what's going on in the world. So what's great is that we've got loads and loads and we get Mm -hmm. contacted every single day by people saying, hey, can you collect my coffee as well? Um, They're they're in Scotland. So we're like, (laughs) oh, not yet. Give us a few years. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, there's there's our popularity of coffee, that our love of coffee is not going to wane anytime soon. And there are coffee shops absolutely everywhere who love our concept and, and think it's cool what we're doing. So fortunately, our supply is is very much intact. Mm -hmm. How much coffee does it take to make one cream? So we say in our face scrubs, for example, that that uses the equivalent of four espresso shots. Mm -hmm. So it's over 50% of the formulation. So it's it's great that you know that so much of that overall product has been kind of salvaged. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the manufacturing process, like what 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 does it what does happen to the coffee when you like collect it? Do you mm. process it in any way? Is the whole you know brewed coffee a part of the cream? How do you do it? Yeah. So what we do first is it goes through a very thorough filtration process. Okay. The main thing that we are looking for there is that sometimes when we get the coffee, it still contains whole beans. So we just have to make sure that none of those kind of slip through mm-hmm. the net. So it's literally just like a giant sieve, and then the coffee just kind of gets sieved yeah. through. Then we do that in London and then it goes off to our manufacturers and they basically... It, honestly, oh, you do that yourself? <clears throat> yeah, we do that here. Okay. And then we know that when it gets to the manufacturers, mm-hmm. it's kind of as pure as it can be. Mm-hmm. They do that and like one more kind of final check and then the other ingredients are added in and it's like mm-hmm. making a giant cake. They've got these big mixes. So the base is the same for all of our scrubs. Mm-hmm. It's made of shea butter and coconut oil. And then we use uh, different essential oil blends to create the different blends for different facial skin types mm-hmm. and our infamous body scrub essential oil blends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get to personalization, which is something that you do, how do you even choose a factory to work with? So we met the manufacturers that we work with at a trade show, again, in the very, very early days. We're talking mm-hmm. like the first like month or so, because it was evident to us as just a brother and sister duo in central mm-hmm. London that we were not going to be doing the manufacturing for long and that we wanted to focus our attention on marketing the brand and growing it and all the rest of it rather yeah. than physically making yeah. the products ourselves. So again, it's very important that their ethics were in line with ours and that they really understood our mission and our broader goals with regards to doing something different and taking the next step with regards Mm -hmm. to sustainability. Mm -hmm. So in the skincare industry, it is so very competitive and pretty much everyone these days can claim to be natural, vegan, cruelty-free, sustainable, etc. That's no longer impressive. That's like an entry requirement. Mm -hmm. And so our commitment to the circular economy and and, uh, upcycling of all of these different byproducts is what sets us aside. However, as you can imagine, often we are the first people to start working with these ingredients in the form of skincare. So one of the most important things for us with choosing a manufacturing partner was that they were willing to go through the process of making it work. And it takes us a lot longer than it might do for other brands to you know, get through those testing phases and, and bring a product to market mm-hmm. because often we have to tweak things and tweak things and tweak things until it works. So we, we looked for a manufacturer with 
some of the certifications that we were interested in, like Soil Association, for example, who are part of the Cosmos for Organic, mm -hmm. which is kind of an umbrella certification for lots of other credentials as well. And then, yeah, just establishing a great relationship with mm -hmm. people who got what we were trying to do. Yeah. But given all this sustainability focus that you have, your pressing is very reasonable. I checked your website yesterday mm -hmm. and it's not high end, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, I would say, mid or even like low range when it comes yeah, to pricing. Yeah, definitely. Um, given all of the credentials that yeah. I've just mentioned, yeah. it's pretty unheard of to have yeah. products at the prices that we have. We do just press our own margins in order to achieve that. I was only 22 when we launched the brand and I was so frustrated at that age mm -hmm. that you want to have all of your products and your clothing and everything else to be in line with what you believe, right, mm -hmm. as a human. However, it's impossible. Just coming out of university or during university or as a teenager, whenever you believe these things and yet how on earth are you going to buy a T-shirt for 70 quid or like, you know, a face serum for yeah. 120 pounds? And I just thought, well, this is just really deflating and and you know it doesn't inspire you to want to be better does it and so I vowed at that point that we would always make products that could be accessible to everyone and again yeah sure that means that we don't make as much money as mm -hmm. a brand on each sale however it broadens our pool of our audience out massively and it's because of our commitment to you know maintaining an attractive and accessible price point that we have been able to grow so quickly and that people really appreciate what we're doing and it you know it opens it up to to more people for the first time and we're in the likes of Sainsbury's with regards to stockists and they just would not look at us if uh the price point was you know silly and the, the ingredients are the same that's the thing our packaging is often better you know there's products triple the price of ours yes. in plastic yes. using the exact same ingredients without the cool story it's just that you know they've gone down a route of thinking yeah we're premium and, and you will buy accordingly yeah the, i think there's this brand lapery if i'm not mistaken mm, yeah it's a swiss brand yeah. mm -hmm. and you could like easily buy a cream worth like a thousand pounds well it's mad isn't it it is mad yeah i did a i did a student event last week and the people who'd spoken before me was la mer and i was like la mer speaking to students like their average cream is like you know about yeah. 100 pounds too i was like what students buying that <laughs> not the right demography <laughs> yeah. so when it comes to personalization you have uh, customers have options to personalize the product mm -hmm. can you talk about what type of personalization do you do is it based on like skin color skin type how does it work yeah so we have certain products that are pitched towards different facial skin types so you know we've spoken a lot about the face scrubs we've got different oil blends that suit different skin types more so than others. We also have what we call a personalization skin, skin quiz on our mm -hmm. homepage, which you can answer simple questions about your skincare needs or the sorts of concerns that you might have with your skin. And then it will generate the right product uh, recommendations for you. We also have a function on our website, which is called build your own bundle, which is really, really popular mm -hmm. where you, I mean, we have other set bundles. So for example, you can get like an acne bundle or a mature skin bundle or a dry skin bundle, etc. where we have already put together those recommended products for you. And you can say, okay, well, I've got that click easy, mm -hmm. all the work's done for you. But if you would rather have a more kind of personalized approach to what mm -hmm. you, you like or, you you know, you're very specific with the scents that you love or, or whatever, uh, then we have the build your own bundle function, which means that the more products you build, the more savings you make, but you get that choice as well. So there are a few things there where we try to keep things as mm -hmm. versatile as possible because everyone's skincare needs are different and True. preferences are different. And yes. even if, you know, we've got a fennel and cardamom soap, for example, which is best for uh, like acne prone skin. But the scent is like a real Marmite mm -hmm. situation for people. People absolutely love it or they're just not into it at all. And sometimes scent overpowers all else. So True. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it's just good to have those options there that people can choose from in order to make mm -hmm. their skincare routine exactly what they want it to be. Is your line only for women or do you target men or... Yeah, no, we, we, we are definitely, we try to be as gender neutral as we possibly can with regards to our messaging mm -hmm. and things, even things like the influencers that we work with. We try to keep diversity in mind in absolutely every mm -hmm. single thing that we do. It's the same kind of point as the price point thing, right? We want to be accessible to everyone. We don't want anyone to feel like our brand is not for them. And again, I feel like in the age of social media and 
bloody Instagram filters and all of that. That was just something else that you don't want a beauty brand to be something that actually makes you feel worse about Mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't want models advertising acne products that have got absolutely flawless skin where you can't even see a pore or you know 17 year olds advertising an eye cream with no signs of a fine line or a dark (laughs) circle right so again I try to just keep that authentic vibe to our brand with regards to the visuals but also the tone of voice and you know the color scheme things like that at the moment we we color code our products based on where they're designed to be used so it is overarchingly one color at the moment Mm -hmm. but in the future when we broaden out into other Mm -hmm. areas like hair care or oral hygiene uh, things like that then the kind of color portfolio of the products as well will become more diverse so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like a five to ten year plan that we're about five years into. But yes. It's good to be ambitious. Exactly. Yeah. You've got to plan for the future. But no, in short, we we definitely want absolutely everyone to be attracted to our brand. Mm-hmm. And we design it that way. You mentioned Instagram. Do you work with any influencers or how do you market it? Yeah, we do work with influencers. It's one of those things that we are still kind of figuring out, uh, just like TikTok. Oh my goodness, that's a whole other kettle of fish to have to get on board with. We've done a few paid influencer campaigns uh, so far that always have a slightly different focus. So for example, we've just come through Veganuary. So we did a vegan food influencer uh, campaign, which was based on taking our food grade in, uh, mm. byproduct ingredients and creating food that was inspired by the ingredients that we use in our skincare. And then we do it in different bursts. Mm-hmm. So the first burst would be like a reel on their feed that talks about the repurposed ingredient that we use in our product and then just makes a purely food-based recipe. And then the next one would be in like an actual skincare routine mm-hmm. using our products, etc. So you kind of make that transition yeah. from, you know, their audience into our audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the most recent one we've done. Uh, we also did like an acne and body positivity campaign with influencers that uh, were very much in alignment with us on that. Um, so the, yeah, the focus is always slightly different and we try to keep them themed. And we work with not just, you know, we actually find that more micro-influencers is more effective for us. So we, again, we keep it varied. We're experimenting, but yeah, we do little bursts of paid influencer campaigns every once in a while. I think what's really important is to choose an influencer that really believes in what you're doing, right? Yeah. And is authentic. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times brands pay influencers who don't really care about the product, mm-hmm. don't use it themselves. They just do it for the money. So how do you how do you choose the one that is a good fit for you? Well, we do look, for example, at their feed to see how many paid campaigns they've been mm-hmm. running and the breadth of other brands that they've been working with. So uh, you you almost don't want one that's worked with loads of skincare brands in the last you know few months right. because then it also you know calls into question the authenticity of it. Mm. If they're like, oh, you know, Upcircle, my favorite brand, and then two yeah. weeks before they've been talking about someone else being their favorite yeah. brand, then that obviously is yeah. not great. And we also look at things, you know, if they are selling, uh, what are those gummies that, that, that like, you know, those stupid weight loss things or like the waist oh, the cinches. Pills. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Any of that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm like, okay, definite red flag, not for us. Yeah. Generally, we would try to, you know, I've just talked about a food campaign, so it'd all yeah. be vegan, things mm-hmm. like that. So just roughly with alignment to ours and... Or the other thing we often are, so we involve our audience as much as we can in our decision-making process. We have both a closed Facebook group and then we use things like the polls and ask us a question Mm -hmm. functions on Instagram to actually get people's feedback Mm -hmm. on on what we're doing and what they want to see more of. So before we launch a campaign, we might be like, hey, who are your favorite foodie influencers or Mm -hmm. who are your favorite acne positive influencers? And we can pull all of that information, find the top ones and then reach out to them. So actually asking our audience what their, you know, who their favorite people are uh, is another great way for us to make sure we are on mm-hmm. the same page. So you do have a community of people, mm-hmm. like lawyer customers that are purchasing only your brand when it comes to skincare? Yeah, we've, we've got a closed Facebook group that we call the UpCircle Insiders. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those ones that you get an automatic invite once you've made a certain amount of orders mm-hmm. or, or spent a certain amount of money. And it is, it's, it's both the best and the worst thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> they are so engaged and so passionate, which is brilliant. Yeah. But they do have just a, a billion opinions, which, you know, we are encouraging it, but it can be difficult to manage sometimes. I can imagine. Um, but, you know, they're fantastic. And we we involve them in our new product development process. So, mm-hmm. 
we've been working forever on an SPF, which has gone through over 20 different versions. And whenever we are getting towards the end with that, we'll mm-hmm. fuel it out to loads of people mm-hmm. and say, before it gets to market and say, you know, we'd love your feedback on this. Let us know what you think, blah, blah, blah. And they love that. So yeah, they are, they're very engaged and, and very engaging. Amazing. Do you sell only through your website or do you partner up with retailers as well? Yes, we've got a lot of different retail partners, both online and in stores. So in stores, at the moment, our main ones would be the likes of Sainsbury's and Holland and Barrett. Mm -hmm. And then online, we're with places like Ocado or Beauty Bay, Feel Unique, Look Fantastic, those sorts of places as well. So uh, a big mixture, really. And it's one of those things where you have to grow that sort of cautiously. But we try to bring on a couple of new big retail partners each year. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I see an upcircle product, you know, in any retailer, like how do you differentiate yourself from this huge influx of all these other brands that are marketing themselves as vegan and organic and sustainably produced? How do you make sure that the customer knows that you actually are the real deal? It's very difficult to do. I do find from even just a color perspective loads of skincare brands seem to just focus on black and white branding or very muted like baby tones Mm -hmm. as I mentioned we've worked really hard with our branding to maintain consistency across every product that we make Mm -hmm. so they're color code so if you're going for an upcircle accessory for example like a safety razor or a tube squeezer or the little cosmetic spatulas that you use they're all in like a mushroom gray tone or if you're looking for a body product they'll all be in a minty green tone Mm -hmm. if you're looking for a face product they're in a peachy orange color then also the way you read the front of the pack on every single one of our products is identical so you've got the logo then you've got what the product is Mm -hmm. you've got what the ingredient is that's repurposed which is our usp which is what no one else can really claim Mm -hmm. and then you've got the either the variant or the skin benefits so it might be for example refresh and hydrate or it might be firm and renew or whatever um so we try to do that because each retailer sections their stores in very different ways some do what's called a brand block where they'll do all of your products in one bay of an aisle yeah and then others split it out based on the actual type of product so they'll have all of their shampoos in one place all of their moisturizers in one place Mm -hmm. so you need to make sure that regardless of how a store is doing that your brand is still recognizable so another thing that we do is we use both the front of the pack and the top of the pack in order to communicate our messaging and, and kind of put our stamp onto it because you don't know whether you're going to be top shelf or bottom shelf. And if you're bottom shelf, what you'll see the most is actually the top of the product. And so it's a real waste of what we call real estate, mm-hmm. i.e. space on packaging mm-hmm. to to not utilize that. So there are a few other things that we do, but it's it's constantly evolving. I had a nearly three hour call with our branding agency last week to talk about how we might push it a step further mm-hmm. this year with different products that we've got coming out. And then we, you know, we just update the, mm-hmm. the previous products as well. So yeah, we, we, we make changes all the time. I think you've, you can always be better and it, it would be really short-sighted to just release a product and then wash your hands of it. Can you pay premium to be on the top shelves? Um, there are different things that, I mean, each retailer is different. So I'm sure there would be stores where you can do that. Again, it's one of those things where you often get roped into marketing calendars, which Mm -hmm. of course the brand is paying for, where you are forced to be on like a banner on their website homepage or Mm -hmm. to have an end of shelf uh, you know, like in the end of the aisles where they often have promotions in physical retailers, you might be forced to go on one of those like twice a year. But then, of course, there's a huge fee that mm-hmm. goes along with that. So right. there are lots of additional payments involved with being stocked in in retailers, mm-hmm. which mean that, you know, like the promotions even just being, you know, 15, 20 percent off or whatever that is often enforced by the retailer and the brand either says yes or will probably be phased out in the next range review. So it's, it's tough. It is a really, really tough. I thought that the initiative comes from the brand, not the supermarket. When Usually it comes to the promotions or discounts. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> do you do you use promotions on your website? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, we do. What um, is the strategy around that? So, again, it's one of those things with marketing, like, it, it is very competitive. I mean, Black Friday is something that's such a challenge for a brand like ours because it's a huge sales period, mm-hmm. and yet it is in direct conflict with what we're all about with regards to conscious consumption, uh, not excessively using, consuming, and then wasting things. Mm-hmm. And yet, as a small brand trying to compete, 
if you don't run something, then you're missing out on, you know, the biggest sales period of the year. And therefore you will continue to be a small brand forever. So we have to be really creative with the ways in which we go about mm-hmm. that. So for example, last year we kind of rebranded Black Friday as Slovember with new differently styled promotions on each Friday of the month. And and we used some of our sustainability credentials mm-hmm. in order to make that feel okay. <laughs> so for example, the first week of the month, we did a free refill as our promotion. So we have a full packaging return yes. scheme mm-hmm. where when you run out of your product at home, you can send it back to us with a free post label that we provide mm-hmm. and then we refill your packaging and send it back out to you. That's amazing. So we offered a free one of those as our first uh, promotion of the mm-hmm of the month and that was a fantastic way I mean of course for us logistically it was an absolute nightmare but it encouraged so many people who hadn't before to try our refill scheme for the first time and now it's bigger than ever and you know taking the same circular approach with packaging as with ingredients is just what we've wanted to do forever really so it was a great way for us to engage in these promotional Mm -hmm. periods and and kind of you know the marketing calendar of the year and run promotions but still not making those feel like that's in direct conflict with what we're all about Mm -hmm. on top of sustainable packaging and using sustainable ingredients in your products do you focus on carbon reduction in any other way when Mm. it comes to like supply chain on the or the manufacturer you work with yeah definitely so so we're working at the moment to get an an actual figure on our kind of carbon neutrality Mm -hmm. it's so so difficult with regards to working with upcycled ingredients because our supply chain is so complicated Uh, so another thing that's slightly easier that we've recently done Mm -hmm. is we've become a plastic negative brand meaning that we draw more plastic from the environment than we produce as a brand Mm -hmm. so in order to do that we've partnered with kind of uh, waste collection impact projects in India where they gather ocean-bound plastics from like the nearest 10 kilometers Mm -hmm. of the coastline in order that it can be reprocessed before it ends up in the ocean. So we put huge amounts of money Mm -hmm. and resources into making sure that we are not only neutralizing, but actually having positive impact in in those sorts of areas of our business as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you plan to expand into other product lines like makeup as well? Yeah. Yeah, we do. In short, uh, we've got bold ambitions for the years to come. Uh, So hair care will be next. Uh And then, yeah, makeup and oral hygiene products will follow. We get requests for it all the time. And Mm -hmm. I do think there could be some really interesting things that we could do in that sphere. Yeah. Um, You know, cheek stains and lip tints for... we again we get we get ingredients landing in our inboxes mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. that are pigmented and and would be brilliant so yeah we want to cover the bases of skincare first as that's what we've kind of built mm-hmm. our name for mm-hmm. but it was intentional to be up circle beauty as opposed yeah. to up circle skincare so right. yes lots of lots of ambition for the future before you started up circle what brand were you using for your skin ooh all sorts and it's a kind of a question that i get asked a lot about you know whether still products or brands that you use yeah. that aren't kind of perfectly sustainable yeah. and there are loads <laughs> my makeup bag for example yeah. is far from perfect I, I do think that it's important to just kind of say that you know no one's going to have mm. everything right and again it's still very expensive to have everything right all the time you know, mascaras and liquid eyeliners things like that they run out so quickly that sometimes if I am in Sainsbury's yeah. checking out what our products look like in store yeah maybe I will buy one from Rimmel for four ninety nine. yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah so I have a whole host of different products that I use my, my ambition of course is that I can start to phase those out more and more like I'd love to make a fake tan for example another thing that me and my sister get through mm-hmm. at an absolutely unbelievable yeah. rate but yeah it, it I, it's a slow process <laughs> if you look at high-end brands like Chanel you know Shiseido La Prere, are those products worth it Ooh, or is it just about branding? Like, depends. are they using special ingredients that really make your skin like extremely young and you know wrinkle-free, whatnot? Or is it all about marketing? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes there are, you know, but sometimes there are ingredients that you're putting in that are very expensive, mm-hmm. kind of for the sake of it. Where yeah. actually one that's nowhere near as expensive uh, would do just as good a job. And it's a really difficult one when it comes to price point because we do sometimes have people say, "Hey, I used to use." I don't know, Clarins or Lizelle or whatever. Yeah. And I've switched to you because I was on holiday with my 
friends and I ran out of my products, so I tried theirs. But I wouldn't have ever gone to your brand. But because it's so cheap, I thought it wouldn't be good. And so it's a real catch-22. And I'm like, right, well, what do I just make this twice the price in order (laughs) that people respect it more because it's expensive Mm -hmm. because they assume it must Mm -hmm. have better products, better ingredients even. So that's why, you know, going down the route of certification and things like that is also very helpful. And having really attractive mm-hmm. branding so you know all of our glassware is frosted to our pantone matched mm-hmm. colors and and they look very premium and that kind of stuff is is really important because without knowing anything about the brand when you've mm-hmm. got you know a gorgeous glass hand wash and hand lotion set by yeah. someone's sink you're going to think wow that looks great and that's the first thing that entices mm-hmm. you you know if you're at a christmas market or a, a trade show or a consumer show whatever it might be the first thing that makes people come over to your stand is how pretty and attractive the the branding is. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing that pulls you in and then you've got to got to hook them with the ingredients and the storyline. But it it varies massively with premium brands. Sometimes I think what an absolute joke and other times I think okay, well I know that that's extremely expensive. So I can understand why this might yeah. be a little bit more expensive, but uh yeah, there's 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 no sometimes it's definitely uh, not worth it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ESG certification now? So certification is really challenging for us because of our commitment to the circular economy. So the main certifications that we've got at the minute would be the plastic negative mm-hmm. one that I spoke about. We're Leaping Bunny certified and we are certified as a brand by Soil Association and Cosmos, but mm-hmm. it's not so easy to get that specific certification on every product within our range because take the scrubs for example way over 50% of the formulation is coffee and we're getting it from hundreds of, diff- mm-hmm. hundreds of different places so most certifications come with an annual fee and like loads of other logistical mm-hmm. challenges that you have to pay for so there's absolutely no way that coffee shops are going to do that particularly the small chain independent ones that we're working yeah. with in order just to benefit us mm-hmm. so it's it's complicated but Generally, I think these certification bodies that we work with or that we approach, they appreciate that we are slightly being penalized for trying to be better. Mm-hmm. And so Soil Association, for example, in their awards last year, we we won Best Innovation, mm-hmm. which I think shows, you know, okay, we we realize that maybe we should have a different path that you can take that's like, you know, commitment to circular or something so that we can still get some seal of approval. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a work in progress. That's one of the difficulties of being one of the first in the industry to be doing this is that actually it doesn't quite work with everything. Well, you're doing a great job already. Um, Thank you very much. I was scrolling on TikTok or Instagram the other day and I saw a post by someone that was listing brands, uh, beauty brands that were causing that had dangerous chemicals in their products mm, mm. and apparently eventually led to the growth of cancerous cells. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Like, is it true that some brands use dangerous chemicals but are still approved and are still on the market? Yeah, it, it, it's, again, it depends in the different countries. Different countries yeah. have different, like, banned ingredients mm-hmm. lists. But there are ingredients in certain products that can be described as, I think there's endocrine disruptors, which are what then can lead mm-hmm. to the growth of cancer cells. Uh, so again, with most modern skincare brands, if you go to like the bottom of their homepages or whatever, there'll be a long list of things mm-hmm. that they say, you know, no SLS, no SLEs, no parabens, no mineral oils, etc. And those are the sorts of things where people will be looking to make sure that they're mm-hmm. not in there. So it's... It's tricky as well because there's new ingredients that pop up all the time or someone's research might say one thing and even essential oils are being called into question for being irritants on sensitive skin, Mm -hmm. which in itself is a debate, (laughs) let's say. So it's it's tough to be educated on all of it as a consumer. But if in doubt, I would always just say reach out to the brand just send them mm-hmm. a DM on Instagram if they've if they're proud of their credentials. A, yeah. it should be all over their website and all over their packaging. Yeah. Or they'll at least, at the very least, they should be happy mm-hmm. to answer your questions. Can you name any ingredients that you know are dangerous? Ooh. That I should be looking. Gosh, probably not off the top of my head. Again, it's one of those things where we because of the certifications that we have we just wouldn't even be looking into like any of that kind of stuff i haven't been it's it's so far from the world that we're in now mm-hmm. that and again being committed to like vegan ingredients is pretty difficult to find vegan ingredients that are going to have those sorts of yeah. qualities but i've also got full blog posts on it on our website yeah. that go through all of yeah. it so <laughs> in america a lot more get 
kind of slip through the net. Mm-hmm. You'll find products out there on the shelves where you're like, whoa, really? But in the UK, we've got, we're much better um, yeah. with regards yeah, to banning things imagine. legally that can and can't be used. Yeah. I'm quite wary of the products that I use because I am afraid that eventually I'm going to get cancer mm. because of the products that I used. Mm. And, uh, you know, especially like bleaching your hair and mm-hmm. all these things that you put into your body, it really does, I think, have a cumulative effect. Mm. I, I would um, also say be conscious of like leave on products. Yeah. Um, so skincare, you know, that stays on your face all day. I know. Uh, even a face mask. Those yeah. are the shampoo or something. Okay. Less bad because you wash it on, you wash it off. But with skincare, it's staying on your face the whole time. And, Again, I do think there's a lot of fear mongering with regards to cancer and all of the different things that we yeah. can and can't get. You yeah. know, at one point, you know, have a glass of red wine and you're going to get cancer, or mm-hmm. go on London Underground and you're going to get cancer. And it's it, it is pretty endless. But yeah, pop. I'll, I'll have to share a link to this blog I've got where it lists yeah. list the whole lot, so you can know what to look I'll, out I'll for. I'll put it in the description. Perfect. Um, so you said you don't have a direct competitor, but I'm sure there must be a brand that you are indirectly competing with. How do you think about competition? Well, I think it's healthy generally. Yeah. Um, it's been really interesting as we've grown along the way. We've had brands kind of at our shoulders, I suppose. Yeah. And actually, with most of them, I think we've learned to be really quite collaborative mm-hmm. and to work together and to share stories because ultimately we, we are doing the same thing, right? We're competitors because we are trying to be better with one regard or another. So one example would be a brand that's a similar size to us whose main focus is being carbon neutral. Uh, that's their USP, ours is circular economy. Mm-hmm. But we would always bump into them in shows and stuff. And it's just really good actually to, just as human beings, yeah. to chat to them and be like, oh my God, how's it going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no, our staff are absolute nightmares. And oh, mm-hmm. we're, we're so jet lagged. We've been here, there and everywhere, yeah. or whatever it might be. And I think that's way more encouraging than the other approach which is just to be quite hostile and competitive in a negative sense so ultimately competitors of ours are trying to achieve the same thing which is to knock out some of these ancient brands that have been rocking around for ages whose values aren't authentic or who are just a bit tired and to kind of take the next step and to to bring some kind of fresh energy into the market a market which is so very competitive so yeah we we kind of welcome it sometimes as i say we get people sneakily on the chat function Mm -hmm. trying to like find out our secrets and (laughs) all the rest of it which can be a bit annoying but generally uh yeah we welcome it i think it's healthy i think it's not just the ancient brands i think there are also new brands right now that are coming out as a result of, you know, an influencer having a lot of followers. How can I cash in? Yeah. Uh, you know, how can I get more money from my followers? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to put out a beauty mm-hmm. brand. Mm-hmm. And I think one of those examples is like Kylie Jenner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the Kardashians. And what do you think about that? When, when there's an influencer, they put out a brand and they don't really care about the product, about creating great products, sustainability. But those followers are still buying them. I know. It's it's How such a difficult is one, isn't it? It's you see it all the time. Like celebrity lines popping up left, right, and center. And yeah. I'm like, oh, you're an actress. Like, can't you just act? Like, <laughs> just leave us leave us alone. I wonder um, if they're pushed into it by their agents mm-hmm. or if they like truly just want to make money. I don't but know. But it's a it's a really weird thing, isn't it, about modern celebrity. Like it's not it doesn't seem to be enough to just have your expertise and or in your field. They also have to have a makeup line and a skincare line and a hair care line and a blooming God knows pet line or what I have no idea just everything <laughs> they've got it all and it's one thing after another I, yeah it, it blows my mind I, I, I kind of respect it so I saw one last night I, I don't watch the tv show but it was a tv show that's come to be massively popular recently mm-hmm. and the makeup artist for that show has started a makeup line and I'm like oh, okay yeah. I kind of get that because yeah. you are actually you know you you presumably yeah. really know what you're talking yeah. about and it must be through respect of you know the styling of that show and the looks that you've created that you're able to now use this newfound mm-hmm. platform to, mm-hmm. to build something off it so that I kind of get like fair play that's that's what this is all about but yeah I do think no matter how good a, a Kylie product was I wouldn't buy it well, <laughs> it's fr- silly, from TikTok perhaps, reviews, it's not great. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. That's good. That kind of makes me feel better. <laughs> I don't know why I know that. <laughs> I never bought any of those. Well, it was interesting products. also because on this call that we did last week with the branding call, there was, it just, they showed 
like a shelfie of loads and loads of skincare products. And then the, what one of the branding guys said, okay, three, two, one, shout the brand that stands out. And mm-hmm. irritatingly, it was Kylie. And again, it's one of those things where she doesn't have to do anything on the packet, just sticks her name on it. And yeah. that's enough that people pick it up. Yeah. Whereas here we are spending three yeah. hours talking about, okay, like, is it more important that we say that this has got yeah. hyaluronic acid in it? Or mm-hmm. is it more important that we say that it's made with repurposed argan shell powder? Like, we have to just go into every little detail uh, in order to persuade someone to pick up our product that they wouldn't have heard of because we're just a brother and sister who had a good idea one day. Whereas she literally just sticks her name in fluorescent pink on a product and it sells. I know, I know. Uh, But at the same time, I'm like, as a family, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole Kardashian-Jenner thing, but they've technically built it, but... Yeah, through questionable means, I suppose. <laughs> there are still enough stupid consumers out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so what have you learned in general about like influencer marketing or branding that, you know, what advice can you give to our listeners that are maybe just starting out? I think try lots of different things. Mm-hmm. We try to do a bit of everything. Uh, we dabble in it all and then we kind of build that year on year. So in the early stages, I think with regards to marketing your brand, there is nothing better than just physically being out there, speaking mm-hmm. to people, whether that is grabbing a load of samples and standing outside a tube station or doing Christmas markets every single month of November mm-hmm. and December. That kind of face-to-face marketing in the first year, at least, is extremely important. Then as you start to grow, digital is incredibly important. Our biggest marketing budget is uh, Facebook and Instagram advertising. And then you start dabbling into influences. And as I mentioned earlier, micro-influencers for us, even at this stage, actually are more effective. So really do choose those wisely. We've started doing imprint ads as well Mm -hmm. because yes editorial is fantastic and that's where most of our PR budget will go to is Mm -hmm. to actually getting journalists to feature you in the body of their articles and we have multiple PR agencies helping us do that again because we have a a specific USP we've always Mm -hmm. done brilliantly well with press but there is also merit in print advertising and we do that in the sorts of publications that wouldn't feature us organically so for example wildlife magazines will pay to go into those and then that gives us a, uh, an entirely new audience who oh. wouldn't see us on yeah. facebook or instagram True. you know like bird watching magazines <laughs> that, that kind yeah. of stuff do absolutely brilliantly for us you can use discount codes really creatively in order to track where your marketing spend is being best placed mm-hmm. and then as, obviously as your brand grows your budget grows accordingly and you can start looking into so at the moment we are looking into tv advertising and and like an out of home sort of billboard or london underground campaign something like that so i guess with tv you're targeting the 40 plus consumer yeah it, it depends on the channel that we end up going with and and there are some really amazing initiatives or like grants that make it slightly more affordable mm-hmm. for brands who are committed to sustainability or you know have a a young team or have only been running for you know around mm-hmm. the five year mark so there are things that you can tap into in order to make that slightly more accessible which we're certainly researching at the moment because my god it's expensive yeah. uh, and a terrifying thing to just you know hand over that amount of money uh, we're, we're doing a crowdfund at the moment well we're raising money at the moment just to even be able to entertain the ideas mm-hmm. of these sorts of things so it's yeah it's certainly intimidating but it's the next step you said that you've doubled your team in the pandemic, uh, yeah. over the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that a lot of beauty businesses were negatively affected. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about like the transformation of the industry as a whole and how you managed to come out on top? Yeah, I, I think it's obviously one of those times where people weren't going out. So there wasn't so much the need for makeup, more so a need for skincare, taking that time for yourself mm-hmm. to look after yourself at home. And, you know, if you're stuck at home all week, then just doing a face mask can be something that makes you feel better, running a bubble bath, etc. So we saw a massive increase in sales. I also think uh, one of the other outcomes of the pandemic, which was a positive, trying to draw positives from an awful time, was of a renewed sense of kind of community space spirit and the idea of giving back and supporting small businesses through Mm. what was an incredibly tough time so we we also benefited from that but I think we given that we were a brand who technically benefited from what was an awful time that's sat with us 
quite uncomfortably. So we went out of our way to ensure that we gave back during that time as well. So yes, we had to <laughs> double the size of our team very quickly. We had to relocate to different offices. We had to open up new warehouses because Brexit was also happening at the same time, which caused absolute nightmares for mm. our whole European portion of our business. So that was hugely challenging as well. As I mentioned, the supply chain was massively in question because when other industries no longer function, uh, like, you know, the food and beverage industry, right. then how on earth are we supposed to get the products, the byproducts that we use in order to make our products, for which there's an increase in demand. So everything was against us. And we really mm -hmm. had to go back to that core entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, thinking outside of the box. But at the same time, we wanted to give back. So we started building in charitable donations to every sale of certain products within our range that mm -hmm. were extremely popular like our hand wash for obvious reasons and making those charities relevant to the different phases that were going on during the pandemic so you know looking after animals in captivity in, in countries where there was no longer any tourism where the people who'd actually taken these animals couldn't actually feed them anymore uh, or refuge which is a domestic abuse charity etc and then we sent out free pamper parcels to thousands of frontline mm. workers just as a token of appreciation, really, for the unbelievably long hours that they were working and the efforts yeah. that they were putting in. Yeah. You just mentioned animals and I thought about testing on animals. Mm -hmm. is, has it been banned or is it still happening? Testing skincare so products it, again, it's one of those things that's not immediately obvious and mm. can become complicated. Yeah. So, for example, one thing that lots of people don't realize is that any brand that sells its products in China technically cannot be described as cruelty-free because China requires it by law. So they might be they might be cruelty-free with regards to their processes mm. up until that point. They might manufacture in America or Denmark or the UK, wherever. But then if they choose to access that massive, massive market, which is China, then they are no longer cruelty-free. So those are the sorts of things that you can look out for. But mm -hmm. again, look for the certifications. But yeah, there are some weird little side routes like that that, that can... Mm -hmm. leave people none the wiser i have one personal question so i got a cosmetic line for christmas and i'm not a big makeup fan mm -hmm. i don't really do makeup mm -hmm. but the cosmetic line included primer uh -huh. and i'm like what the heck is a primer <laughs> <laughs> and it seemed to me that it's just a lotion it's like just a cream so do you think that beauty brands are creating like extra products mm -hmm to make consumers purchase it or is there actually any value in primer what what do you think it's a it's a funny one so with regards to makeup i would particularly an eye primer i would certainly say that that has merit it just makes the cosmetics sit on your skin okay. and it will yeah. make it last much longer so for example if you're wearing lots of eyeshadow and you don't have an eye primer on then you would tend to find that it will gather in the crease of your eyelid right. after a few yeah. hours as you know your, your skin naturally mm -hmm. secretes oils right mm -hmm. and so if it's not kind of set properly yeah. onto your skin or your skin isn't prepped yeah. then it moves so a primer in in that context would alleviate that issue or, or, or make your makeup last a lot longer if you're wearing it throughout your working day into the evening however to your broader question about whether people create products I would say yes it certainly happens and another trend that's been quite interesting recently is these products being led by one single ingredient which in a way there is merit for mm -hmm. because it's very clear and often it will mean there's a high percentage of that ingredient in there so if you're looking for a vitamin c serum or something and it's marketed just for that mm -hmm. then it's going to be high in it and so you know that you're getting what you want yeah however often ingredients work best with others right and and you build one broader product that's doing lots of things at the same time mm -hmm. so we design our products around multifunctionality, i.e not needing to have a skincare yeah. routine made yeah. up of 35 different yeah. products because if you go down the single ingredient route then it might do something but it might also do another thing so you need to do another thing to counterbalance that and then you need to do another thing to counterbalance that which is really annoying so too much is too much exactly and our face mask is a really good example of that i you know during our marketing and research phase i tried so 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 many face masks yeah. and what i would tend to find is sure they help with tightening or minimizing the appearance yeah. of pores or whatever it might be generally brightening up your complexion but then your skin feels so unbelievably dry and tight 
afterwards that you want to then just throw 15 different moisturizers onto it so with ours you know we always make sure that same with exfoliators mm. you use an exfoliator and your skin just feels horrible and, and tight and dry so we always balance our ingredients extremely carefully mm. to ensure that you're not using one product in order that you need to use another you're getting one benefit but then the rest of it is built in mm -hmm. so what is the ideal skincare routine Wow. Big question. Depends on the time of day. So you want to start, if you're doing like an evening routine, for example, I'd recommend a double cleanse. So starting out with an oil-based cleanser, like a cleansing balm. So we've got one that's made with powdered apricot. That will lift any dirt, excess oils, removes mm -hmm. makeup, etc. Then after that, particularly if you've been wearing makeup, you'd want to follow up with a second cleanse. Often that would be a water-based mm -hmm. cleanse. So we use soap bars, which are fantastic, really long-lasting, lightweight, simple packaging, etc. Then it depends kind of how deep into it you want to go. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of people would use like a toner and then you move into the moisturizing and then the oils and SPF section of the routine. So it could just be a simple night cream, which might be sufficient, depends on the products mm -hmm. that you're using. Uh, if it's a morning routine, of course, you want to put in SPF. I don't have a morning routine. <laughs> just wake up and nice. do stuff. Well, I mean, often, I, you know, if it ain't broke, don't yeah. fix it. Yeah. I would certainly recommend SPF as a kind of general mm -hmm. everyday thing if you're going to be outside, regardless of whether it's summer or winter. Yeah. But My my routine's pretty simple as well, to be honest. I don't use all of my products every day. Mm -hmm. I, I I use two or three perhaps. And it and it massively varies. And I have different favorites at different times yeah. of the year. So I definitely don't subscribe to the 10 plus product. I can't I don't have time. I know. I, don't I know. Have time. I'm busy. Um, We're all busy. <laughs> you said you started up circle with your brother. Mm -hmm. First of all, how did you get your brother into the beauty business? And 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 how are the dynamics? How is it working with your brother? It's pretty much exactly as anyone might imagine yeah. who has a sibling. It's been extremely challenging over the years. But I feel like now we've kind of got it. We know how each other work. We know uh, we've got the balance right between mm -hmm. our different roles. We are completely the opposite of each other, which certainly helps because we don't often step on each other's toes. We do also have a complete trust in one another that, and that's the great thing, to be honest, mm -hmm. about it being a family run thing, is that there is no shadow of a doubt that we both want this to be as successful as the other person mm -hmm. and that we are both going to put absolutely everything into that, no compromise. And we have total trust in each other that mm -hmm. we're always giving it 100% and that If, for example, someone needs a break or like needs to be cut some slack, the yeah. other one will absolutely hop into that. You would always do that for family. So that's that's the best part of it. And yeah, the fact that we are the opposite of each other is a massive, massive win mm -hmm. because there are things that I do that he would be totally unwilling to do. Podcast would probably be one of them. <laughs> And the general sort of face of stuff that he just doesn't enjoy. He's way more a behind the scenes guy. His background's in finance. He's the one who is out at investor meetings all day and number crunching and making sure that we're actually going to be able to hire the people that we need etc and that is what he is unbelievably brilliant at as well so it's a really good duo how did I get him into the beauty industry I think he's just an entrepreneur like mm -hmm. he doesn't care what the business is he just wants to be his own boss and I think in his so he's three years older than me uh, so he was in his mid-20s when we started this and he came from, from a very successful background and could easily have made at least in the short term an awful lot more money I mean we pay ourselves practically nothing at the moment and so it is a and we're six years in <laughs> we're, we're paid less than anyone else in That's our commitment team. like right it. because we, we like our number one goal is the growth yeah. of the brand and you know again you can you can look at what some other brands that are smaller or equivalent size to us and the amount of budget they attribute to founder salaries I'm like okay <laughs> cool, well, see you in 10 years when our brand is yeah. 10 times bigger, but, mm -hmm. you you know, you might have a nice car. So that's, that's a, you know, it's a personal decision and people have different requirements in their life, so each to their own. But, yeah, he would have done any business if he thought it would be a good one mm -hmm. and one that matched both of our skill sets. So this has kind of worked out really well for us. If there was a brand like L'Oreal or any other big brand and approached you for acquisition, mm -hmm. would you sell? Uh, so Certainly, it's a massive question. I think it, the short answer is no. Depends on depends on who. Um, <laughs> yeah. And or how much? <laughs> partially. I mean, I'd be it would be a total lie if I if I just said blanketly, uh, no, we would not sell. It depends who. It depends when. And of course, it depends how much. But I would really. Uh, 
it would be really important that whoever it was, was someone where we didn't feel like we were just totally selling our souls and that everything we'd just said for the last six years was then a lie because mm. we then get taken on by, you know, a massive Unilever brand or something. So who knows? I have no idea what the future holds, but uh, it would have to be the right mm-hmm. partnership. Obviously, being a startup founder is extremely difficult and mm-hmm. challenging. Can you talk about some of the failures you had early on and how you dealt with it? Oh, where to begin? We've had so many. We, My brother and I both describe going to work every day as going into battle because you just do not know what you're going to get. And we're only a team of around 15 people now. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple more joining in the next few weeks. But you become like a parent, a sister, mm-hmm. a friend. The HR side of things was a, a whole portion of this that I hadn't necessarily anticipated would be so big and and that's still a pretty small team Mm -hmm. but gosh you've got to be so much for people in order to support them in their very unique needs and every single person's different and has very unique needs and we want to be able to do that so that's that's very difficult but yeah there are a huge amount of challenges some of the failures we've had along the way so okay I would start off by saying that two years into our brand we did a total rebrand and that was because when we first started out we took on loads of advice Uh, from mentors or people who've been in the industry Mm -hmm. for a long time because neither my brother or I had technical beauty industry or cosmetics industry backgrounds but I regret that because actually what they did was they watered down our ideas because we'd say okay well this person said that we shouldn't do that and Mm -hmm. that person said that we shouldn't do that and then in the end you end up doing nothing or you've got this cool story but it's hidden behind layers and layers of normalcy or boringness Mm. so it's hugely costly after two years of building something to say okay we're kind of starting from scratch sure all of our partnerships were established and the concept was identical but we changed the name we changed the look we changed Mm. the materials we changed everything other than the product itself really and so that could be considered a massive kind of fail I'm glad we did it because we've grown massively since But yeah, we've had packaging nightmares, we've had branding nightmares, we've had spelling mistakes on major mm. runs of things of like the multiple tens of thousands. <laughs> you name it, we've probably had that mistake, but you just have to dust off your shoulders, laugh, you've got to have humor. Sometimes we're just like, this is so bad, it's funny. <laughs> And that's a regular thing, like at least yeah. every fortnight, something is so bad, it's funny. Last year, because of the global supply chain crisis, We had all of these product, the packaging for the products stuck on a boat mm-hmm. and we'd look on this map of where these products were and one day it would be in, you know, Dover in England and the next day it's in Russia and then the Are next day it was absolutely ridiculous. So they all launched like three months late. Oh my God. And yeah, what can you do? What does your day-to-day look like now? Uh, it's varied. Mm-hmm. So I also manage the like whole warehouse side of our team as well. Mm-hmm. So At the moment, I'm doing a lot of hiring around that. So I've been splitting my time. My role broadly covers the marketing umbrella, which is huge. Mm-hmm. So it's everything from doing podcasts or press interviews. Last week, I was followed by a TV crew for a, a news feature. I write a lot of articles mm-hmm. for like columns for magazines. I do a lot of like staff team meetings mm-hmm. and catch ups and making sure that everyone else is happy in what they're doing. Lots of branding calls. Uh, and then lots of sourcing of new ingredients for new mm-hmm. product development projects as well. So it's fun, it's varied, it's hard work. Sometimes it might be entirely behind a computer, sometimes it's not at all. Sometimes I write loads and loads and loads of emails, sometimes not a single one. I do lots of award applications, mm-hmm. things like that. So yeah, that's definitely the best thing about my job is that you don't know what one week's going to look like. Yeah. I try to compartmentalize week by week. Mm-hmm. So I keep a physical diary. I've just... I find it much more easy to visualize yeah and I always people will be like oh what are you doing next week and I'm like oh, I'll, I'll ask me on Sunday yeah. <laughs> I just need to focus on this one week getting through this week and then I turn that page in the book and then I'm like right what have I got on my plate this week and it just makes it more uh, manageable more bite-sized less intimidating mm-hmm. where do you want UpCircle to be five ten years from now and where do you think that the whole beauty industry is going I think the beauty industry is transforming quite quickly. I think often when looking at the beauty industry, all you need to do is look at the changes in the food industry and the beauty industry will follow. But the sorts of trends and the changes in messaging from big brands on, for example, TV ads, I think looking at TV ads is such a really interesting way of gauging the direction that an industry is taking because they're the people who've got the budget there to get the message out there first. And the transformation in messaging has been 
really interesting to see, you know, an increase in uh, appreciation of things like skin texture and having models that aren't necessarily like the most perfect models in the world. Yeah. And the, the rise of veganism and cruelty free and all of that kind of thing. I think, of course, that the future is circular and we'll see more and more brands approaching the use of byproduct mm-hmm. ingredients or at least circular packaging. So return schemes or collection points, drop-offs, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, I think will be more commonplace in the years to come. What was the other part of the question? Where do I want Upcircle to be in the next five, ten years? I would like us to become more of a household name. I would like us to be very much respected as the pioneers of circular beauty or circular skincare or byproduct beauty, any of these terms that get used. I would like us to have a full skincare offering, which we're on the way towards now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably got about 20 different products, but there are certainly holes in that that I would like to fill. And then, as we've briefly mentioned, broadening out into other sectors of the cosmetics industry as well. So starting to dabble in makeup and and hair care Mm -hmm. is certainly an ambition that I've got alongside growing our team, which is one of the other things that really brings me joy is the hiring process and getting people with such energy and enthusiasm into growing our brand and our ethos. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure you will do all of that. Last but not least, what do you want people to know? How can they buy your products? Where can they get it? Sure. So the easiest thing is to go onto our website, um, which is upcirclebeauty.com. We also have an EU version mm-hmm. of that, which is eu.upcirclebeauty.com and a US version, which is us.upcirclebeauty.com. Uh, but there's a little logo in the top right hand side where you can just click the correct flag and then the products will be shipped from warehouses in those regions. So we're minimizing the uh, the Amazing. shipping footprint there. As I mentioned earlier, in stores in the UK, you can get us in Sainsbury's and in Holland and Barrett. And then if you're just online and you're you know, stocking up your makeup bag, you'll find us in places like Beauty Bay or doing your grocery shopping. You'll find us with the likes of Ocado mm-hmm. as well. But if you want more info on our stockists, again, all of that information is on mm-hmm. our website. Uh, if you've got any questions, feel free to drop us a DM. All of our socials are at Upcircle Beauty. And I still monitor those DMs every single day myself. So any questions, please just fire away. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Anna. I really enjoyed the chat. Thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this discussion. If you enjoyed it, make sure to follow the podcast to hear about new episodes. You can also find me on Instagram or Twitter under Think with Lucy. Let's highlight the gray area that is often overlooked. Let's show nuance. Let's think.